This is a Therapy Geeks podcast. You're listening to a discussion between mental health professionals and friends in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope that this helps you find peace and understanding in this crazy world. Now here's today's podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Brandon from the Therapy Geeks, and this is the Therapy Geeks podcast. Today's podcast is our second episode in the Resilient series, and I'm pleased to be joined by my good friends, Jason Russo, Brady Buchan, and joining us for the first time during the series is Steve Romano. Guys, thanks for joining me. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Last time in our Resilient series, we talked about our hearts longing to get back to Eden, the river of life that only comes from Jesus, and we ended by challenging one another to examine our our own emotional state and asking ourselves the question of whether or not our life reflects the confidence that Jesus is absolutely the God of everything. What I find interesting is the time between our last podcast and today's podcast, I've had multiple opportunities to be challenged with whether my life reflects this confidence. I'll give you just a quick example. I basically could tell you it's been quite a month. Last time I shared in the podcast that I had done time in a federal prison, so I've dealt with the FBI on a couple of different occasions in my life and not been very beneficial to me. And so about three weeks ago, I got visited by them. They just showed up at my office. As I found out later, it was because of something that someone I had prepared tax returns for had done something quite illegal and they're investigating that. But the initial fear that took over and the initial scare of that definitely challenged me to focus back and ask my question. You know, do I trust God with this? I know I haven't done anything wrong. I know that I'm not involved in this, but you know, here they are on my doorstep again, which brings back memories. It brings back the past. It brings back all those battles that I went through, causing me to have nightmares, not be able to sleep, not have any peace in my life for a period of time. And it really took sitting down and focusing on this thought that, you know what, God's in control of this. Like I've done nothing. I know that I've done nothing. I know God has my back and being able to sit back and rest in that and rest in the peace of the fact that he was in control of things. Dealt with some things with my son. I've dealt with things at home this last month. And all of that has really brought that question to light. Do I believe that God's in charge of everything in my life? Does my life reflect the fact that I trust him and I rest in all of those things, knowing that he has my back? Yeah. And I'm Brady, if you're like any of us, I mean, it probably takes us a while to remember that fact. And so just kind of thinking about what kind of happened or when did you kind of get to that place that you kind of remember that truth? God is the God of everything. He's got everything in his control that kind of changed, at least maybe not the outcome of these things, but they it changed the feeling that you had towards them. Well, I'll be honest. They showed up at my office on a Wednesday afternoon and my Wednesday night and my Thursday they were pretty rough. My Thursday night, I still had a lot of issues, trouble sleeping. And it was Friday morning in my quiet time that I was sitting there and I was praying. And I just thought, God, you know, I know that I'm not involved in this. Yes, I'm going to have to participate because what I have pertains to what they're needing to be able to pursue him. So I have to provide those things. And that's part of this. But it's this is not an attack on me. This is not they're coming after me. It's an attack that Satan's trying to do on my mind to remind me of my past, to try to drag me back into that, to try to get me fearful of the things that could come from this and realizing that regardless of what happens, 
God's still in control. Like my life is grounded in him. I'm focused on him. I've given him everything. I've done what I need to do to keep my life in line with his word best as I can possible. And he's in charge of this. Like the outcome is his outcome. Whatever happens, happens. But in all of that, that he has me in his hand and I can find peace in that. And so, I mean, it, it wasn't a couple hours. It was a couple of days. I mean, it was a pretty strong attack. Probably one of the worst ones I've had in, in a long time. Such an interesting story that Brady tells because I think in all of our lives, there's circumstances that, well, could come up today. But in Brady's story, you know, something happens and all of a sudden there's a thought that takes us back to our past that brings fear in. And so how long does it take for us to sort of embrace and remember that God's in control? And I can remember in my past, it would take a long time. I would like to be dealing with this fear and dealing with this anguish for days, maybe even weeks. Fortunately, today, I have a closer walk with Jesus. And so it doesn't take much time till I realize I need to pause here and I need to just really take this to the Lord and remember my identity. So that's that's a good story. And that's that's what you did there. So that's encouraging. Right. And I mean, I think it talks too about, you know, our, our spiritual maturity. The closer we are with God, that the quicker we can kind of get to those points. Maybe, you know, in the past, it would take you maybe even weeks or months to even get to that place, but that it just took a couple of days and really retreating to the quiet place with God for God to remind you, you said it was during your quiet time, you know, and in that silence, God reminded you, hey, buddy, I am in control. I've got you. When I was telling Steve, I said the funniest thing about all of it was I, I sat down to do my journaling and stuff. I believe it was Saturday or Sunday morning. And in my little prayer time, I was logging some stuff that I that I was dealing with with all of this and some other things that are going on. And I just, I literally put, Lord, I need your strength and I need your help. And mm-hmm. it wasn't about five or 10 minutes later, I thought, you know what? I'm sitting here. It's quiet. I'm going to start my reading on my chapters of Resilient. And I opened the book to chapter three and it's about strength and it's about praying that, Lord, I need your prayer and your strength. And I thought, now there's no coincidence in this whatsoever. Like this was God saying, I've got you. Right. It's just another testimony of just how personal Jesus is, that he just didn't speak to you in that still small voice or just in a comfort feeling. He chose to speak to you through even a John Eldridge book, you know, in a moment that you're like, well, I just kind of get caught up on things. And it's just like, hey, when you weren't looking, I, I'm with you and I'm still answering your prayers. Right. And I even just love that, just the way this chapter even starts. He's like, anybody in their lifetime has prayed this prayer, God, I need strength. And when he first started saying that, I was like, oh, he's going to bash this prayer. He's going to like, because that's the way the chapter opens is everybody in their life has prayed this prayer. God, give me strength. God, I need you. And then he goes right on into the next paragraph saying how even Jesus has prayed this prayer. Right. That Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, God, I need you. God, I need your strength. And it, oftentimes Jesus is going to the mountainside to be alone, often separating from the disciples and praying these prayers. God, I need you. God, I need your strength. Absolutely. And Steve, I was reading some of the notes that you had put in here. I like how you kind of started off some of your stuff because you're like another great John Eldridge book. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, the guy doesn't disappoint, does he? 
He doesn't. He doesn't. I've read several of his books. And, and for me, I want to focus on, you know, what I, what I need to do to make sure I'm receiving that strength that prevails, like it's talked about in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verse 34 through 36. And I just really love how John Eldridge lays it out here. The call to be single hearted. I never really thought about in Luke 21, 34 in the way that he explains. So Jesus is urging us to turn from the things that seem to offer life, but in reality wear us down. And I really thought about, well, there's just a lot of things in life that I grab onto, grab a hold of, that I think will give me life, that I think will give me peace, but they're not God. They're temporal. And that's what Jesus is asking us to do, is to, in verse 34, to lay down those things. Maybe it's some worldly things that I've been involved in, to be single-hearted, to have the attitude of my heart in doing those things is a posture of waving the white flag? What am I embracing of the world where I'm saying I'm done? I just, man, I I just can't take it anymore versus, you know, an escape, right? I'm looking for an escape. I'm going to binge watch something for eight hours just to get my mind off it. Jesus is always there. He's ready to take me in his arms. He's ready to comfort me. And that singleness of heart, not waving the right flag, but running to him. And that's another scheme of the enemy. Wants us to, to get off track, wants us to grab the temporal. And so once we realize that we can embrace him and fully commit to being single-hearted. Right. And when I think of John's comment on being single-hearted and the attitude that our heart being in a posture of waving the white flag, it made me think of his statement on the comfort culture. He states, the error we just lived through, talking pre-pandemic, is what I call the comfort culture. It weakened us for the trials we are facing now when you grow up in a world where everything is done with a few clicks on the phone. It doesn't exactly develop resiliency. I mean, and, and that's so, so true because when everything can be delivered to your doorstep within the hour or within just a 24 hour period, when you can go just a few miles down the road and get anything that you need or you want, but everything is available. And when you're bored, that instead of trying to find something to help with your boredom, you know, maybe getting a skill or a hobby or, you know, something like we used to do when we were kids, it's let me turn on my phone and find something to keep my attention. And what we're seeing is that it goes to things like Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat, where people are just flicking through their entertainment and it might last like five seconds, but they're willing to stay so attached to it and how it's developed that sense of comfort culture that has made us so soft. Wow. I even like how he talks about this when he talks about with the kids going to college and he's our counseling and therapy is bombarded because kids in their first semester of college don't know how to handle it anymore. They're not prepared to be on their own. They're not prepared to be like, hey, this is what's going to happen. They're just everything is taken care of. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is what life is like now. Right. And you see that depression and that anxiety kicking in at even a faster level now. Right. Because we're not, once again, you said that preparedness has been taken away, going out and discovering, like going out and just, hey, get outside, like go, go get a hobby, go, go and workshop and build stuff, go do home ec and learn how to cook, mm. go how to like do these things that when you get off into your life, once you move out of the house, you have to know how to do these things. Exactly. And I mean, what it goes to show is the fact that people were already having issues even before and the pandemic just exposed it even greater that that people were so much filling their lives with just 
stuff that did not really matter and doing it so much that they forgot what truly mattered. And then when something like the pandemic hits, I mean, it just, it, it drives people even further into some bad habits. It maybe had some of us starting to question and maybe readjust our lives. But sadly, it doesn't look like a lot of people are just not truly adjusting to life post pandemic. Well, and I think, you know, I've watched this with my kids. I've got three that are in their mid early twenties at this point. And it's like every little thing is a crisis. Like every morning it's like, oh my God, I'm $20 short or, oh my God, the kid's got this problem or, ah, and and I'm sitting there going, you know, don't even know what a crisis is. Like, this is just life. Like this is not, you're not in crisis mode. This is, you woke up and life happened and you press forward and you go on and you figure out how to deal with these small problems. If you get hit with a big problem, what are you going to do? Like if the world collapses on you or something really serious happens, where are you going to be at if you're freaking out over diapers today? And, you know, I love what John said. It really just stuck with me. He said, when the enemy brings something against us, he will always bring this feeling of, I don't want to fight this. Mm. I mean, I've there's stuff that I've gone through at home and, and different things. I mean, I've even told Steve this. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to fight it. I don't want to. I, I want to quit. I give up. I'm, I'm out. And I love what John said. He said, resilience is something that is bestowed or imparted by God unto us. This is not something that I have to work for. This is not something I have to muster up. This is something that God says, ask me for strength and I will give you the strength to prevail. And I love when it says this is no ordinary strength that Jesus is offering. You talk about that strength that prevails. This isn't optimism. This isn't feeling refreshed or renewed in a new day. Hard times require something more than willpower. Jesus warns us, urges us, practically commands us to ask for strength. This that we talk about when we talk about the strength prevails. I mean, I think that was just a huge part of that chapter, chapter three. John just kind of talking about when we ask for strength, we are asking not just for something to just carry us throughout the day, but man, it is something that truly is a supernatural strength that God gives us. Well, I like it. Like you said, the, the Greek word that he uses here for strength is katishu, and it means to be strong to another's detriment, to prevail against, to be superior in strength, to overcome, to prevail. And he said, this is a valiant strength. Like this is not just, you know, I'm strong. This is like supernatural strength that comes only from him. Right. And this Greek word that you had just kind of talked about, um, he uses it in conjunction with Matthew 16, 18 that reads, and I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He continued by urging us to not forget that God is the God of war. And I feel like sometimes we forget that. And John states, you understand, I hope that our English translation Lord Almighty is correctly translated as Lord of Heaven's armies. Our God is the God of war, mighty in battle, says Psalms 24, 8. We need him to strengthen our hearts so we are as protected as if by still, as immovable still, John says. I think we often at times forget that God is the God of war. And when he says he will give us strength, it's the strength of a warrior, the superior fighting machine who has our back and gives us strength. In your guys' opinion, why do you think that it is often so hard for many 
and especially to ask for help, and especially from the person who can truly give it to us. I think one of the things as men is we always have the pressure to have it figured out as a worker, as a father, or as a husband. You don't want to be the one that causes a chaos when you have to admit that you don't have something figured out or you're not sure how it's going to end. So you kind of fake it because once again, you kind of, as men, we tend to burn the load and don't want to be the the one adding to the chaos. We'd say, hey, we have this. Trust me, I'll lead the family and I'll figure it out. And instead of going to even God sometimes first and saying, hey, what should be my next step? And that's one thing that this has really instilled upon my heart even further is when I begin my day, do I inquire upon the Lord? And I just love that when they talk about King David, he always was inquiring upon the Lord. He always, hey, we're going into battle. God, I seek you first in this. God, I bring this up to you first and not having to shoulder that. You know, it even talks in the Bible that Jesus's yoke is easy and light because he helps us burden that. He's not going to just thrust stuff on us that we can't handle or that he takes that burden with us. So when life gets too much to handle that, then he's like, Hey, I'm right here. I'll take some of this with you. Like he doesn't make us go through this alone. And then we can also, once again, once we figure out more on how to ask of him, then it also begins easier to ask our fellow brothers getting to do the breakfast breakfast disciples. Hey, I'm going through this. Is there anybody else that has been through this? Is there anybody else who I can share this burden with too? Because once we learn how to give it to Jesus, then we can also learn how to help manage with other people. Right. And in what I kind of hear you saying too, is when we're talking about men sometimes having a hard time asking for help or asking for some strength is that we oftentimes don't want to feel like a burden. And then again, it kind of comes back to, we don't want to show weakness. Yeah. I was thinking that same thing that, you know, sort of in the physical world, right. You know, cause we talk about these two realities, which we'll talk about more in a minute, but you know, you think about the idea of, you know, here I am, I'm a man, I'm leading my family. I've got all these responsibilities with work, which we all have. But in our culture, it's like, I can do this and I don't want to show weakness. I want to be the one that has the answer. But when we look at God's kingdom, we see a totally different reality, right? It's not, it's not independence. It's dependence on Christ. It's surrender. And that's where we find our strength. I know working with men myself with discipleship ministry to answer your question more directly, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes for men to think, Oh, I, I should have an accountability partner. I should have somebody that I sort of journey through life life and be able to be transparent, share struggles and how Christ can get me through this. And that's actually, uh, that's when actually when we're the strongest is when we're vulnerable and we have that kind of relationship where we're reaching out to others, which then helps us to be more aligned with God, especially when we're talking about going, reaching out for help. Um, the source is the Lord and his word. So I think if you think about the way men are raised, even from little boys to, oh, get up, dust yourself off. Don't cry, boy. Boys don't cry. Men no. don't cry. You're not weak. A culture thing. Um, yeah. You know, and I love what Paul said. I'd rather boast in my weakness because in my weakness, Christ is strong. And that's, I think, as we raise our men and we raise our boys to become men, we need to let them see that Jesus wept. Jesus had emotion. Jesus went to his father for help, you know, and we need to do that same thing. We need to be willing to go to our father for help and admit that we can't do this alone. It's not our burden to try to carry everything. It wasn't meant to be our burden to carry everything. We're supposed to allow God to help us do that. And we're supposed to rely on other men and community to come together and have people that we can bounce things off. Right. And I think it's fair to say that um, anybody that's listening, you guys can hear the storm coming in. And so, because that's going to be hard to edit uh, out of this, but... 
I think it's fair to kind of tell people, hey, there's a reason why you hear a lot of banging in the background is because we're having a storm right now and we're going to continue to soldier on in this podcast. But I think that you're absolutely right. We ingrain it into our children. It was ingrained in us that you just don't show weakness to get up to dust yourself off. And there's a little bit of that. I'm glad that some of that was instilled in me, but yet there's some of that that we instill it so much to the detriment of oftentimes as us as men to get vulnerable because we can find accountability or even mentorship sometimes when times are good because we're willing to open up about those type of things. We're willing to open up about the small problems that we have. But man, it shows a true amount of vulnerability to talk about the big stuff. Yeah. And so I think it is definitely one of those that we as men especially could prevail and really just us as believers if we would learn not only just to fall in love and to trust Christ with all of our heart, soul, and mind, but also too to lean on our brothers because we need, and we say this all the time, you know, and the breakfast disciples that we as brothers of Christ, we need to be willing to stand in the gap for one another when we don't feel strong. So we end our time together by saying, share with us your burdens, because from now until the next time we see each other, we're going to be standing in the gap with you because we know there's going to be times when you're going to feel weak. They brought this up when we moved into this talking about God's glory and stuff, but that I thought this was a scary question John brought up. He said, what would the camera show if it panned down over our lives today to reveal what is stalking us? And I really thought about that. I mean, we don't tend to think about the spiritual world as much as I think we need to. We're earthly creatures only because God placed us here, but we're spiritual creatures first, living an earthly journey. And there's so much going on in the spiritual realm that dictates what's going on in the earthly realm that we don't see. And so, you know, we're constantly under attack. Like as believers, the devil wants to get us off track. He wants to mess with our minds. He wants to bring chaos. He wants to bring circumstances that pull us away from God. And so if we could really actually see all of that, I think people would really be scared to death of the attack that's coming against them. And maybe that would draw them closer to God, knowing that they need him. I'm not really sure. But I love what he said. He said, prayer is reaching into heaven for what we need. And the truth is that most of us are not tapping into those supernatural graces that God offers. And our resilience comes from tapping into those. Like we need that supernatural strength. We need that supernatural power and that supernatural peace in our lives to walk the walk that we're called to walk, to deal with the circumstances and the things that are coming against us in this life. Man, that's so good. I, you know, I just think one of the things that the author is bringing out here is that this whole reminder to us all that the temple of God has been moved from a physical location into our hearts. Right. And that's such a great reminder. And all through the New Testament, uh, John does such a good job of talking about in the book of Ephesians and in other places. I specifically remember the scriptures given in chapter three and four, perhaps about that. And it's just such a fresh reminder that the temple of God dwells within us. Jesus is with us. And so, uh, boy, that's just, that's just refreshing. Right. Even starting my day to day, you know. So. 
yeah, refreshing as we listen to the rain pounding outside. Like, how refreshing is that? <laughs> Brady, I'm so sorry your motorcycle's out in it. It's getting, getting, the, getting the bugs washed off. That's <laughs> right. It's getting refreshed and renewed. I mean, even just that thought of the fact that God resides in us and no longer in that physical location, Amen. but the spirit of God resides in us. And oftentimes we choose not to dive deep into where God resides in us to ask for and to draw from that strength, you know, that it's so available to us. Even Jesus said, even to his disciples, that you will go on and do greater things than this because the helper comes. And because of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, he's given us the power to cast out demons. He's given us the power of healing, but yet we oftentimes forget that he has given it to us to draw from that strength to carry on throughout our days. And I mean, it's one of the those that if we could just, I feel like if we could just tap into that even more, I think that we as Christians would see a greater prevailing over the gates of hell rather than what we're seeing a lot in our culture right now. And John even talks about it, about the great falling away. Yes. And I love the quote that he he says right here. He says, if you've ever experienced the comfort of God or the love of God, that was heaven coming to you here on earth. And I feel like that is so powerful that thinking that the God of the universe reached out into the vastness of space and time to show me, little old me, comfort and love. And I think it goes back to kind of what we talked about last time, that in this story that God is creating in history, his story that he still chose for us to play a part in it. He still grafted together your storyline to still make a difference in the huge overarching story that he is writing about history. Wow. I read a book one time, I think it was Andrew Womack actually that wrote it. It was called You Already Have It. And really what clicks in my mind is, you know, this thing, this idea that we're, we're designed to live and enjoy the benefits of two ecosystems, two realities, the physical and the spiritual, the earth and the heaven. But what this brought about was everything that we ever needed was paid for on the cross. Like it's done. It's finished. And then he gave us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us and he sealed it. The Bible says we're sealed until the day of redemption. So everything we need, we have living inside of us in the Holy Spirit. The question is, are we tapping into it? Because we have this option to either live by the soul and the body. And in that, I think we get overwhelmed and we forget completely about the spiritual realm of things. And then we only grab onto God when chaos happens, or we only grab onto God when all hell breaks loose. And the reality is, if we would live from that place of everything already being done and paid for, and live from that place of the Holy Spirit living from the inside of us out, we would live in a constant state of his presence and his glory living through us. You know, Steve and I talk about sometimes we get so wrapped up in the day that we spend our time with God and our secret time and our quiet time in the morning. And then we put our head down and we bury ourselves in our work and we get so focused that at five o'clock, we haven't even talked to God or thought of God since 8.30 in the morning. And so we've missed that opportunity to live in that glory and to live in that presence and to have that peace and that joy and that strength and everything that's provided and been paid for and given to us, we've just laid it on a shelf all day long. I think sometimes as Christians, we even forget that, yes, we have this Holy Spirit living inside of us, but how the importance of just tapping into it, like Brady said every morning, just getting up and having that quiet time of, God, I need you this morning. And I think sometimes we just 
just for, hey, if I can just make it till Sunday, I can find rest for my soul there. If I can just make it to the next worship night, I can find rest for my soul there. I'll hit my high point and I can kind of dwindle that out. But that's not what we're called to do. We're not called to hit these high points, go to church camps or go to worship nights or whatever. We're called to go from glory to glory to glory. Mm. There's no downfall in that. It's just constantly an upward motion. And that importance of being able to have that expectation of, hey, I'm going to church this Sunday, but that same God is also the same God that's going to be in my closet Monday morning. He doesn't change. The Holy Spirit doesn't change. Hey, what kind of expectation are we bringing into our everyday life of letting Jesus interrupt it? What kind of expectation of, hey, worship night was awesome, but my closet is going to be even better alone because there I get to be alone with Jesus. Yes, it's great in congregations and we need those, those congregations to continue to build us up, but do we take that same expectation in the next morning and say, God, last night was great. I want this morning to be even better. Right. And I think that that's the amazing thing about tithing, that God asks us for a tenth and then he gives us the 90%. But I even had a friend one time saying about if we took that attitude with our day, that if we would just give him the first 10% of our day, then he gives us the rest of it. But, you know, I, I feel like, you know, when I think about it in any deeper kind of a sense, that we that are growing in our relationship with Christ, that yes, we're willing to give not just God the the 10%, but we understand he has the ownership of 100%. That even though I give him the 10% of my day with a, a early morning Bible study and quiet time, that really and truly I should go throughout my day in the spirit that he is sending me, remembering always that God is with me. I will prevail. I am going out with a duty that really and truly we give God a hundred percent. And I feel like that's the same way with kind of our tithe. You know, we might give him 10% of our money, but in all actuality, we should always be good stewards of what God has given us because in all actuality, it's all his. It's all his. Ron, this, I was yeah. reading that in Psalms 24 this morning. The very first statement in Psalms 24 is that all of the earth is his. Like he founded it, he created it, it's all his. And that's the idea. It's not ours. It's it's ours to steward, but we're only here for a season. Like he's yeah. put us here for this season to steward what's his. Yeah, and so I just want to bring us back to this thought that, that I love so much in, in the book that these two realities, the thought that Christians live and enjoy the benefits of two ecosystems, two realities, the physical and the spiritual. It's just a great way to think about living fully for God. Um, of course, you guys know that I'm a big, uh, I'm a big time outdoor person. I just love the physical world in that respect. You know, if I, I think if I was stranded somewhere and I had to live in a camper for two months or be in a tent, it wouldn't be survival mode for me. It would be enjoying life. Right. <laughs> and so, uh, just love, love, love the outdoors. And I can really relate to the natural world saturated with beauty, as John talks about in the book. We, we were created to live in two worlds. And when we don't live in the spiritual world, you know, Brady talked about earlier about, and, and so did you, Brandon, about, when we experience the comfort of God, when we experience God speaking to us through his word and God directing us and making decisions and running to God for that, to gain that resilience through that, you know, that strength, we're, we're experiencing that heaven on earth. And and, and I, I just love how he lays that out there. We're able to have this overcoming strength. But for a lot of people that we talk to, that we disciple, that we minister to, that's not the reality. Their reality 
is not two ecosystems. It's one. They're living in this physical world. And when things get to an extreme difficulty, God is their last resort. When 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 they've exhausted all other options, then we'll pray. Right. How many times have we heard that? And so that's why I, I love visiting that thought that uh, live fully in both ecosystems. Right. Amen. And thinking back to 9-11, you know, it took an extreme disaster for a nation to turn to God and to pray, but yet how quickly that burnt out. And then we had an entire culture that then swayed the other direction, it seems like. Further and further away from God, how little and how quickly we forget. Even thinking about that, like you kind of talked about the, the comfort that comes with knowing who God is, the strength that truly prevails. That's the type of comfort culture we really need. When John talks about comfort culture that we get through technology and what makes us soft, in all actuality, we we need to make it a spiritual comfort culture where we realize the power that we have in Christ. And I think that that would totally change a culture at that point if we realize where our comfort really comes from. I was just thinking, you know, we were talking about, you know, he went into this idea of the great falling away when this, and really think about that, you know, the more and more people come to God with this idea of, you know, he's their quick fix in the middle of a problem, and then they back away again, kind of like you said with the with pandemic or anything, all of a sudden there's this rush to God, and then all of a sudden people forget and they fall away. So they're not living in communion with him, like there's not a constant walk or a constant communion with them so that when they do run to him yeah he's there because he says he never leaves us or forsakes us but we've shooed the holy spirit so far away from us in the way that we're living the rest of the time that when he doesn't immediately respond because we've come such a microwave culture that when something happens drastic and we run to god and we don't get this immediate answer we go oh well god's not really there he's not helping us that's just a bunch of hooey and you know off we go back to doing our own thing. And I think John's real good at showing that I think we're in the middle of that falling away. And that's why it's because people haven't lived constantly connected to God. So then when they do run to him and they don't get their immediate fix, they go, okay, well, I'll just figure it out my way. And so there's less and less reliance on God. There's less and less dependence on God because people have just decided they can do it on their own. And so they don't need God. So there's less faith. There's less belief. And, you know, you're even seeing pastors and and people that have that are starting to do that because they just they feel like God hadn't answered their prayer in their timing. Right. And so, you know, he must not exist. He must not be there. And it's not you have to understand our timing is not his timing. That's our right. answer is not his answer. Yeah. Like it, our relationship is meant to be an ongoing, daily, constant communion with him. Right. Absolutely. And I think that when I think about the great falling away, I feel like is this the event that is truly going to grieve God's heart so much that this is what sparks his return. When we start to see such amazing people of God rejecting the glory that they got to see firsthand in the salvation that they received, and that in itself, that rejection of that, will that grieve God's heart so much? Because we've talked about it in men's Bible study before, that along with the the last of the end times, the tribulation period, that will also bring one of the greatest revivals of all time. 
And so along with a great falling away come this great revival. And I feel like that is even a, a more of a picture of how God loves us, that even when we are willing to walk away, that still God will bring this redemption yes. to <clears throat> mankind. That yes, there will be a lot of people, the, the scripture that talks about the way to heaven is narrow, but the way to hell is broad and, and many will follow on it. And sadly, we will see so many that will fall away, but God stills, I love you so much that I'm still going to bring a great revival and many will still come to follow me. Yes. And I think that's going to be huge. And then when we were talking about the, the two ecosystems, it makes me think of the old hymn that kind of goes, the world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels, they beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world any more. And I feel like that is so true in the fact that God has given us a spirit that, yes, we need to understand that we have a duty here on earth, but yet our soul is truly longing to be with him, yes. to be in heaven, to be back in that place. John always talks about it, to be back in that place of Eden, that we want to have a connection with God again. And even though we live in the physical world that has a duty to, to preach the good word, to take Jesus to every person that in every tribe that we also have a spiritual calling that is to come back and to have true connection with God again. And I think that is so huge. Now we come to the conclusion of this uh, podcast. We hope that it was a good uplift for you to remember to dive deep into the strength that prevails, and that is Jesus Christ. We pray that you continue to stay strong, and thanks for tuning in. We hope to see you next time as we continue this Resilient Podcast series. I am Brandon. I am Steve. And I am Brady. And for Jason as well, this has been a Therapy Geeks podcast. Stay resilient. We will see you next time. Thanks again for listening. For more information on the Therapy Geeks or for more resources to help you or someone you love, please go to our website at www.thetherapygeeks.com or catch us on Facebook or Instagram. And also subscribe to be notified when new podcasts have posted.